Welcome to the Hills, all of you that are in person at West Fort Worth campus, at Southlake campus, here at the North Richland Hills campus, and of course, our huge online community. Wherever you are, I want to thank you for making it a priority to spend some time lifting up Jesus. And we always do that during the Christmas season in a special way, but this has been a very different kind of Christmas, we all admit. And so we have done the very best we can as a church leadership to give you opportunities to celebrate Christmas, understanding the situation. So, for example, at every campus, we've had a special Christmas event for children that we adapted so that we could meet all the COVID protocols. We have provided 12 on 12, 12 days of devotionals on our Facebook and YouTube platforms so that you can just start your day celebrating the good news of the coming of Jesus. And then we've mentioned our Christmas Eve or our candlelight services. We have 12 across three campuses that are going to be wonderful. And we have prepared a unique online candlelight service. It's on demand at Church Online, at Facebook, and at YouTube. So you can watch it whenever you want. You can watch it as often as you want. And you can send it to as many friends as you want. And I think it's going to be a very, very special event. In fact, I think more people will hear our Christmas Eve messages here than have ever heard it before, and I celebrate that. And then finally, I hope this series on the birth names of Jesus has helped you in a rich way appreciate the wonder and the message of the birth of Jesus. We've called it birth names because we've been looking at some of the unique names and titles specifically given to Mary's baby at his birth. Now, we know that Jesus only had one given name. But he had many titles, and we also know titles often function as names that you answer to. We might say, Mr. President, or Your Honor. Uh, for example, my given name is Rick, and that is what most people call me. But I answer to many other titles. Uh, Sales people call me sir. Church people call me pastor. My closest friends call me rev. My children call me dad. And Jamie calls me stud muffin. And, well, that's the only thing she calls me I can say in public. But my point is that Jesus had many titles that he answered to. And probably the most important of all is... Christ. Now, a lot of people think Christ was Jesus' last name. No, it wasn't his name, but it was a very, very significant designation. Christ is actually the Greek form of a powerful Hebrew word, Messiah. And it was given to Jesus just as soon as he was born. Look at how the New Testament starts. The very first verse in the New Testament says this. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The very first thing we learn about Jesus is he is the Messiah. Later in the same chapter, Matthew says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together... She was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And Matthew, which has the most Jewish flavor of all the Gospels, says four 
times in just the first chapter, he is the Messiah. But the other gospel writers join and get on the train. Uh, Luke, for example, tells about Joseph and Mary took the baby to the temple to be dedicated. And there was an old man there named Simeon. It says in Luke 2, the Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So the gospel narratives waste no time giving the title Messiah to Mary's baby. Now, Jesus would go on to have many beautiful titles given to him. But why was it so important that this one be given just as soon as he was born? Well, we have to know a little history. The Hebrew word Messiah actually comes from a verb that meant to anoint. And in the Old Testament, it was the practice to recognize those that had been approved by God for special service by anointing them with oil. Oil represented the Holy Spirit. And so the act of anointing was a symbolic way of saying, this is the one God has ordained and chosen. And so priests were anointed by oil before they could ever serve in the tabernacle or later in the temple. Prophets were often anointed. God told Elijah, go find Elisha and anoint him to be your successor as prophet. But most of all, kings were anointed with oil. You might remember the story of Samuel going to a man named Jesse who had a bunch of sons. And they called young David in from the fields where he was shepherding the sheep. And in front of the family, he anointed young David with oil to make the statement, this is the one God has chosen to be the king of Israel. In fact, Israel's kings were often referred to as the Lord's anointed. Now, God said to David, there will always be someone who sits on your throne. But now you'll recall that for centuries, the Hebrew people experienced subjugation and oppression by the Assyrians and then the Babylonians and then the Persians and then the Greeks and then in the days of Jesus, the Romans. For centuries, they have been a subjugated and oppressed people, but they held on to this amazing promise, God is going to send an anointed one to sit on David's throne, and he is going to restore the kingdom and usher in an age of global peace, primarily, they thought, through conquering their enemies and making Israel the military power of the world. And after all they'd been through, they would not let go of that faith. They were waiting for the Messiah. Now, this helps explain all the excitement around Jesus at the beginning of his ministry. Yeah, people were amazed by the miracles, but they were more excited about what the miracles were implying about his identity. Could he be the one? It says from John 1, 41, the first thing Andrew did was find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah. Now, by Messiah, again, they meant political liberator. Someone who was going to lead the armies of Israel to conquer the world. 
And that's why Jesus in public would often avoid that term. But in private, he would readily apply it to himself. For example, he's talking to a Samaritan woman one time by a well, just the two of them, having a deeply spiritual conversation. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who was called Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Now, if you read the Gospels, you understand that his disciples have a hard time understanding what kind of Messiah Jesus has come to be. He didn't fit the commonly understood definition of what a Messiah is supposed to do. And they had a hard time getting it. In fact, it took his death and resurrection. But once they got it, they could not stop talking about it. The very first public sermon about Jesus after his ascension, Peter closed this way. Let everyone in Israel know that for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. And that was their message, that they would not relent. They were bold. They were unwavering. They preached over and over. This Jesus that you rejected, this Jesus that you had killed, he was the one you've been looking for for centuries. He is God's anointed. And now he has been raised from the dead and ascended to sit at the right hand of God. Now, do you understand? There's a reason why as soon as he's born, they give him that title. They give him the title Messiah at the very start because that's where you have to start to really understand who Jesus is and why he was born. Let me put it this way. Messiah means... God's anointing is on Jesus. Now, that's a short sentence, but that's a huge statement that has huge implications. When we call Jesus Christ or Messiah, what we're saying is that out of all the people who've ever lived, the anointing of God is on Jesus. And to accept Jesus is to declare that the search for Messiahs is over. That Jesus of Nazareth is the one that God has anointed to be the hope and the Savior and the Lord of the world. Let's go a little deeper. Remember, they anointed prophets, priests, and kings. Now, if he's anointed as God's prophet, what that means is that God is affirming his teaching. That God has anointed Jesus to deliver God's truth To speak for God. The Hebrew writer starts his book this way. Long ago God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. Now in these final days he has spoken to us through his son. So when we call Jesus Messiah. We are saying that he is God's voice. And like the disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration, we need to listen to him. Because he speaks with the authority of God. That reminds me of the guy that went to the doctor's office. 
He was going to have a mole removed from his chin. He was met by a big burly nurse who said, go down the hall, first door on your left, take off all your clothes. But ma'am, I just came to get, go down the hall, first door on your left, take off all your clothes. But ma'am, all I need, down the hall, first door on your left, take off all your clothes. So he goes down the hall, opens the first door on the left. Inside, there's a guy sitting on a stool in his boxer shorts. Guy says, that nurse sure is mean. Guy on the stool says, tell me about it. I'm the UPS driver. There are some people, and when they speak, don't ask questions. Just do what they say. Now, yes, Jesus is full of grace, but Jesus is full of truth. And his disciples know his word is the final word. And that's why Jesus would teach like this. Now, you've heard it said, but I say to you. It's why Jesus in Matthew 23 said, don't let anyone call you teacher, for you only have one teacher, the Messiah. Now, he's not saying that I can't do what I'm doing right now. Jesus told his disciples to go and teach. The Holy Spirit gifts men and women to be teachers. What Jesus is saying is that we don't listen to anybody. I don't care how popular they are. I don't care how charismatic they are. When their words don't line up with the words of Jesus, we stop listening to them. We listen to the voice of Jesus because he is the one God has anointed to speak for God. That's what it means when we call him Messiah. His words are authoritative. His words are eternal. And by the way, his words are storm-proof. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, If you build your life on the things I teach, you will build a life that can handle the storm. He didn't say if. He said when the storms come. If your life is built on my words, you will survive. To call him Messiah is to say, I agree with what Jesus says. He is God's anointed prophet and God's anointed priest. And that means that God accepts his sacrifice. You see, people of Israel had a long centuries old history with priests. Truth of the matter is they liked priests more than prophets because if you saw a prophet coming, he was probably going to tell you what you've been doing wrong. But a priest was there to help you get right with God. So you can understand, suppose you're a Jewish person, and you come to believe Jesus is a Messiah, and you accept him. But all your life, you've gone to the temple, and you've brought offerings so the priest could make you right with God. And it was visible, and it was tangible. And you miss that. And you're tempted to want to go back to that. Now, I've just described what the book of Hebrews is dealing with. And the author of Hebrews is going to make one argument. God's anointing is not on the old priesthood system. It is now on Jesus. Now, I'm going to read from the book of Hebrews. It's a long reading, but stay with me. It's really good, and it's really important. Starting chapter 7, verse 23. There were many priests under the old system, for death prevented them from remaining in office. But because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts Forever. Therefore, he's able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. He's the kind of high priest we need because he is holy and blameless, unstained by sin. 
He's been set apart from sinners and is given the highest place of honor in heaven. Unlike those other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices every day. They did this for their own sins first and then for the sins of the people. But Jesus did this once for all when he offered himself as the sacrifice for the people's sins. So he's saying that old system that you knew for so long had some serious flaws. For one thing, your priest kept dying. You keep having to get new priests. And number two, they were sinners too. Before they could deal with your sins, they had to deal with their sins. And number three, their work was never done. You had to keep coming back and back and back and back and back because they never could really get rid of the sin, could they? You, You ever wonder why when they gave the prescription for the furniture in the temple, there are no chairs? Because priests never sit down. Because their work is never done. A priest never offers a sacrifice and says, that's it. No more. Sin has been dealt with. And yet throughout the book of Hebrews, you find this phrase a bunch of times. He has sat down at the right hand of God. At the very start of the book, chapter 1, verse 3. When Jesus had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand Of the majestic God in heaven. Why? See the reason Jesus priesthood is superior. Is because he offered the only perfect sacrifice. Himself. His priesthood was anointed. Because the priest became the offering. You ever wonder what Jesus said just before he was born? Hebrews 10, for it's not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That is why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Notice that phrase, for this was God's will. Now this is big. The cross was not an accident. The cross did not catch God off guard. The cross was not plan B. What the Hebrew people missed as they read that Old Testament and those prophecies and they were looking for a Messiah that was going to slaughter the world. What they missed was that all along God had said, I'm going to send a Messiah and He's going he's to liberate Not by slaughtering, but by suffering. When Jesus is walking on the road after his resurrection with two guys, he says in Luke 24, You find it so hard to believe all the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? And so when we call Jesus Messiah, we are saying He is the one God has anointed to be the perfect offering for our sins. Uh, This picture you're seeing right now is Princess Lala Khadija. Her father, King Muhammad, was so excited when she was born that he said to uh, the officials of Morocco, I want to release over 9,000 prisoners and reduce the sentence of 24,000 more. Do you understand that when Jesus was born, It was God saying, 
I want to take away the penalty of my children. Not reduce their sentence. I want to erase their sentence. So when you call Jesus Christ, what you're saying, whether you know it or not, is He has completed the mission that He was sent to do. That He has provided an answer for the sin problem once for all. That He is the perfect priest. He presented the perfect offering. And we don't have to keep wearing ourselves out trying to appease a God who never can get over the fact that we're sinners. This is really good news. And now He sits down. And he doesn't just sit anywhere. He sits on a throne. Because remember, they anointed prophets and priests, but most of all, they anointed kings. And when we call Jesus Christ or Messiah, we are saying that God has assigned His reign. Matthew says that Jesus was born during the reign of King Herod. Jesus was born into a world full of people who thought they were anointed to rule and who were very challenged when anyone said otherwise. You remember, for example, these magi from the east come to Jerusalem following a star and they ask this question, where's the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we've come to worship him. And King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and he asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? You see, the gospel is dealing with a tension. The gospel is asking you and everyone since Jesus was born a very important question. Who is the rightful king? Who has been anointed? Who should get your ultimate allegiance? Whose kingdom is destined to end? And whose kingdom has been anointed to last? Do you remember what the angel told Mary when he announced her pregnancy? He's going to sit on David's throne. And his kingdom will never end. How could she give birth to a king? How can he be a king when he's born? Well, he was a king when he was born because he was a king before he was born. Do you understand? Jesus was king before he was savior. And he'll be king after there's no more saving to do. And the disciples, they had a hard time believing that. When they saw his naked, bloody body hanging on a cross. But after he was raised from the dead, they could not see anything else. They could stand before any power or king on earth and say, Jesus is Lord. Paul put it like this in Ephesians 1. God has put Christ over all rulers, authorities, powers, and kings. Not only in this world, but also in the next. Okay, I'm about to cut loose. We live in a world full of Herods. 
and it feels like they're winning. But Christmas is so subversive. Christmas is so revolutionary. Because Christmas is forecasting the end of all illegitimate sovereignty. And Christmas calls on us, who call Him Messiah, to live in reverent defiance of pretend sovereigns. Now that doesn't mean we aren't good citizens. That doesn't mean we don't pray for our leaders. What it does mean is we only give ultimate allegiance to King Jesus. We do not give blind loyalty to any president, to any pope, to any monarch, to any prime minister. We only bow to King Jesus. Because only Jesus has the anointing. So, early in the days of the church when the government powers told the leaders to stop preaching Jesus or face great threat, they had a prayer rally. They quoted the Old Testament, Acts 4, O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. You spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, Why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against His Messiah. Now here's what they're saying. This is not a new thing. That from the very beginning, the governments of men have been in competition with the kingdom of God and asking you and me, demanding of you and me, our ultimate allegiance. And we do not bow down to the powers that be because they have not been anointed by heaven and they will not last, but the kingdom of Jesus will. So it was in the late 1930s and a young Dr. Herbert Gazork wandered the streets of Hamburg in great distress. He protested the Nazi regime and was fortunate that instead of being executed, he was being exiled the next day to America. And as he wandered those streets, he thought, how can a place so filled with the demonic survive? He heard music. It was organ music. He followed it inside a church and heard the melody of Luther's classic hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, and the words came to his mind. And though this world with demons filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. Now, I've told you I love Christmas music. It's not the melodies It's the words, the words that call us to give allegiance only to God's anointed. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. It is significant that throughout the birth narratives, you find this phrase, do not be afraid. Remember, for example, what the angel told the shepherds. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. 
If you believe that, it changes everything. It changes how you look at everything. It changes how you deal with everything. If Jesus is anointed by God. It means His anointing is where fear ends and joy begins. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all the people. The Messiah has come. Do not be afraid. George Foreman, in his autobiography, God in My Corner, tells a story of a woman who was asked her favorite verse in the Bible. And she didn't pick the Lord is my shepherd or I can do all things through Christ or even for God so loved the world. She picked the verse that had the phrase and it came to pass. And she was asked why and she said, well, because I've learned whenever a trial comes, it doesn't come to stay. It comes to pass. That's what we believe. Christmas people. That we live with hope courage and joy because we know the anointed one has come so that we know what will pass and we know what will come to pass now, we've been talking about names of Jesus and I want to close with one more of those predictions of the Messiah it's such a great verse look at Zechariah with me in chapter 14, verse 9, the Lord will be king over the whole earth. And on that day, there will be one Lord and his name, the only name. The Messiah has come. The Messiah is coming. Let earth receive her king and let it start. With this church. So could I ask you to stand up now at every campus, South Lake, West Fort Worth, North Hills. I want us to have just a moment of, of praising God for the coming of the Messiah. Uh, whatever campus you're at, we'd like to pray for you. If you uh, would come forward, we have a prayer room at North Richard Hills and West Fort Worth you can go to. At South Lake, you can just come down where the elders are waiting. And at every campus, and even if you're watching online, if you want to be baptized, just let us know. If you're in person, just come forward. If you're online, just get on that chat room and let us know. But we would love today to see you confess that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one of God. So I'm going to pray. And then let's, wherever you are, take a moment. Let's just celebrate King Jesus. So Father, in the powerful name of Jesus. We do pray. We do pray with thanksgiving and with great declaration of faith that we believe that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah, the promised one, the anointed one, who speaks the truth for us, who gives his life for us. And who is coming for us to live forever in his eternal kingdom.
Let this truth go deep inside us, God. So it changes how we deal with the fears of today. May it well up in us courage and hope and great, great joy. Come quickly, King Jesus. And until then, receive our praise. Amen.